coming in. There we go. Good morning, guys. You guys can grab a seat. And uh, man, so thankful uh, for this opportunity to worship with you this morning. And uh, happy eighth anniversary. I mean, that's just. I uh, I cannot believe it. It honestly uh, seems like yesterday that we uh, uh, we planted the church here in. Uh, 2015, my family uh, moved from Chicago uh, not long before we planted the church and, and sort of launched out. And uh, man, if I look at it at all eight years at once, uh, it can be so overwhelming. Like to think about uh, sort of the ups and downs that happen um, anytime you uh, you try to make a, a, a move and follow God's leadership in that. And um, uh, it really can, uh, just a sense of awe and um, at times wondering if uh, my hair now is permanently bald because of the last eight years. There's lots of things you think about around that. And um, the one thing as I reflect back though is I just love the people that God has brought uh, in different seasons. Like, I mean, there's been people that have come and endured. There have been people that have become dear friends. There have been people who came for a season. There are people who have come to faith in our church. People who we've had the chance to hear their uh, a declaration of faith in Christ in baptism. I mean, it's just, it's just wild to think about the opportunities that our church has had to, to counsel people with every sort, struggling with every sort of issue and watch as the gospel is, is, is preached and taught right to that situation. And um, I think about, um, as I think about the last eight years, I think about the uh, new babies that we've uh, brought into the world in our church and the weddings and the funerals even and all of the ups and downs of life. And, uh, you know, there's lots of change that, that, that comes in a community that at the center of the community is this belief that, um, that God has come into our world and he's left us a gospel message and still is working through the power of his spirit to change and transform us. Like, like we should be a church, we should be a people that make up a church that are not like what we used to be. And so if we were just like, hey, everything's just kind of the same as eight years ago, that'd be a problem. And, uh, but, but I have to say that um, by far the most compelling, more than the individual people, more than the collective gathering of people, the most rewarding part of the entire eight years has been the offering of praise to God. That's been the part that a really, really um, means a lot to me and to, I believe, the way God's designed us. That there, there's a spirit that I pray would permeate our church that, that we would just be like, man, God deserves all praise and glory. Like he's the one that's at work in the midst of this. We are simply used by him. He's the compelling center. A Father God, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, nothing, I believe, has defined the, 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 the fabric and the culture of this church more than a genuine, faithful, enduring passion to glorify God. Have we, have we had everything figured out at every point? No. Have we made a fair amount of mistakes? Me and others, without question. But that enduring passion has carried us. It's helped us navigate through seasons where we uh, did not know how to, to move forward. And it has been uh, really the captivating center of what we're striving to do. And uh, so I, my prayer, my desire, my heart, as we even go into the message this morning, is that there would be a, for anyone who comes and is a part of Christ church for any season of time, that what would result more than any other reality or impact 
is that, the, the, that your praise, your understanding of who God is, and your, the praise that you offer him would grow just a little bit deeper and a little bit broader in such a way that it changes the way that you think and live. That's our heart. And, um, and so in light of that, um, we know that our mandate is not just to make it eight years. Our mandate is to persevere until uh, Jesus returns or until he calls us home. Amen. And so we want to persevere in that. And so let's uh, take a few moments. And I just want to lead us as we just thank God and as we pray uh, for his spirit to continue to lead us forward. Let's pray together. God, thank you for all the moments that I could think about. And God, honestly, before you this morning, I praise you for the good and the bad. I praise you for the moments when um, I had nothing to lean on but you. I thank you for the moments like that where you proved yourself faithful. And I thank you, God, for the, the testimony of the way I've seen that in the people in our church. Some walking through difficult seasons right here in this community. I praise you for that, God, the lessons that you're teaching us, the perspective that you're giving us. But God, we have strived to be faithful and to offer you praise at every point. But uh, God, we, we stand here this morning, we, we, we gather here knowing that we have not yet arrived, that there's still work that you want to do in us and through us. And we don't know the nature of that or what that's going to look like or who you're going to lead to or away from our church. We don't uh, care as much about the specifics of that, God. What we do care about is that you would be honored and glorified, that every person we hold with an open hand, that any commitment, God, um, except to you is one that we want to navigate carefully and wisely. And, and God, in that, I just pray you'd empower us to faithfully follow you and fulfill the mission for the, whatever season you give us, God. I pray that you'd be glorified in that. Lead us now as we turn our attention to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, get your Bibles open to John chapter 17. This is the last chapter of this series. And if you're going you're to note in a second as we read the passage for this morning that uh, Jesus just communicated these parting words. And then he pauses and he spends the entire last chapter praying. Praying. Even the one who is the very nature of God is submitted under the Godhead and is asking for God to move and to work. The entire chapter is Christ's prayer. It's divided really by many and there's three sort of sections. Uh, Jesus prays for himself. That's today's sermon. Then he prays for the disciples and finally he prays for all disciples, all believers, present and future. So... The next three messages are going to unpack this prayer. And what you get in any sort of prayer in the Bible, whether all of the Psalms or uh, these moments in Jesus' life or other um, uh, apostles in the rest of the New Testament, there's these moments when they pray. And there, there's something beautiful about a reading uh, just uh, an authentic prayer to God. There's something in prayer when we pray rawly and authentically, like we're really talking to um, the person of God that allows us to see a glimpse of someone's heart. It's a beautiful opportunity. And so we have to ask the question, what does Jesus express to his father before he's going to go to the cross? Like what are his desires and what are his priorities? And there's so much to learn here. Let's, let's start by reading uh, chapter 17 verses 1 through 5 together. Follow along with me. 
When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. It's clear from this passage, Jesus cares about glorifying God. Even in the midst of his faithfulness, his perfection, he cares about glorifying God. He has a mission to accomplish and it is almost finished on earth. And his prayer reveals his longings and desires. And any place that the followers of Christ, when we understand Christ's longings and desires, we should imitate those. We should look to those, we should understand those, and we should strive in the power that God gives through the Spirit to imitate those. They're worth imitating. And so the big move this morning is simply this, imitate Christ's longing to glorify God. Imitate Christ's longing to glorify God. There's three longings that we see here from Christ that are worth imitating because the reality of these were at the heart of of Jesus fulfilling his mission and glorifying God as a result of it. First one is this, move quickly to sacrifice. After communicating the truth to the disciples that he has in the past two chapters of this, these parting words, this final sermon of Jesus, Jesus now in verse 1 of chapter 17, he looks to heaven and begins to pray. And he starts the prayer, notice, he said, Father, the hour has come. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you know that throughout the beginning of the Gospels, there's these moments where Jesus shows off some miraculous evidence of who he is as God, and there's moments where what he says to people is, my time has not yet come. Do you remember those references in in the Gospels? And it's almost as if Jesus is like, okay, okay, like like, miracle, true, I am the Son of God, but, but like the fullness of this we're not ready to reveal. My time has not yet come. Now, chapter 17, verse 1, there's a shift. The hour has come. One commentary said that that the nature of what Jesus was praying in verse 1 is that he was saying to the Father, hasten the cross. Move quickly now to the cross. My work's been done. Move to the sacrifice. No more preparation, no more teaching, no more a demonstration of what the kingdom of God looks like. It was time for his sacrifice on the cross. It was now and he was ready to move quickly to sacrifice. See, this is how Jesus had intended the the fulfillment of, of him glorifying God and God being glorified through him, the way that he was gonna be glorified and the way that God was gonna be glorified through him was through his sacrifice. Note that. Glory comes through the sacrifice. God was ultimately glorified when the sin of all mankind was laid upon Jesus who knew no sin. And in his sacrifice on the cross, 
He offered the perfect and final and complete sacrifice that as a result of that sacrifice would then secure forgiveness and mercy for anyone who would put their faith in Jesus. That sacrifice would glorify God in such a way that it would open the door for anyone to access grace through faith in Christ. His death set the stage for the glory of the resurrection where sin and death would be finally and definitively conquered. Do you see the glory? And the critical lesson learned from Jesus is to glorify God, move quickly to sacrifice. You, you can't, if, if, if you were to talk about some foundational themes of redemptive history, From Genesis to Revelation, sacrifice is intertwined throughout the entirety of redemptive history. You can't pull sacrifice out without everything sort of collapsing. It is at the foundation. The Old Testament law instituted sacrificial offerings uh, in the temple, and so there is these, these ceremonies and rhythms and repetition to sin, I need to atone for sin, sacrifice required. In the Old Testament law, in the sacrificial system, even celebration of what God had done involved sacrifice. Asking God for wisdom and leadership involved sacrifice. To atone for their sin and to rightly honor God, there was sacrifice all the time. Then it led then to the revelation of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross to be the ultimate and final sacrifice. It shouldn't be a surprise then that throughout the rest of the New Testament, the followers of Christ are called to sacrifice. Let me give you two examples. First, Romans 12 verse 1. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, this is Paul writing, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Then look with me at Ephesians 5 verse 2. Uh, in the fabric of loving, like God calls us to love, is sacrifice. Ephesians 5.2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In loving, we are actually walking a similar path to what Jesus showed us, that in loving people, we're moving quickly to sacrifice. The entirety of our life is intended to be offered up, presented as a living sacrifice. The beauty, though, of the cross and resurrection is that no longer does the sacrifice require our death physically because Jesus already accomplished that. But it certainly requires a death, a sacrifice. It's clear from these passages and others that to glorify God, we have to, as a people, reflective, imitating what the, the, the model of Christ is, is that we have to move quickly to sacrifice. And into that, I present a problem. We live in, in our culture today in what I would, without question, say is an increasingly soft culture. What do, what, what, what do I mean when I say soft? Let's just think about this for a second. If you think about our culture today, all the comforts of our modern world, all of the conveniences of modern technology, even modern medicine has eradicated many diseases and physical ailments and has helped alleviate pain. And listen, listen, I do not have any problem with the large majority of those realities. Trust me. 
I'm thankful for a lot of them. And we live in that culture. That's a reality of the culture we live in. And there's thankfulness for that. And there's goodness in some of that, I believe. But there is one result of that that conflicts with the culture of God's kingdom. We have become a culture that oftentimes is obsessed with safety and comfortability. Safe and comfortable, while a blessing in so many different ways, can and often does cause us to be then also uncomfortable with the pain of sacrifice. It is, it is inherent in, to the modern mind to say that where there's sacrifice, there must be a way that we can build technology or something around that to alleviate or avoid it. And if you watch the insanity of our culture today, is that there's some places where they, no matter what they do, they can't get around the reality of at least one for sure, and that's death. And so what's happened is our culture, we become uncomfortable with the pain of sacrifice. We immediately feel like when I feel pain, there's something wrong. We don't experience it as often as, as generations even 50 to 100 years ago. We don't even know, I believe, in the way that we, sometimes in the way that we raise our children, we have not done a sufficient job of helping them to know how to navigate the pain that always runs alongside sacrifice. And it becomes unfamiliar. Sometimes I think in our modern world, we believe that we can get to resurrection without the cross. That somehow we can navigate around that unfortunate reality of death, of denying of self, of sacrifice. And so the question I ask you that, 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 the, that the gospel confronts you with is, are you really willing to experience the pain associated with sacrifice? Are you really willing, as, as a response to what Christ has done for you, to, to walk the same road that he walked? Followers of Christ must learn to move quickly to sacrifice. There will be pain. Expect it. It is a non-negotiable king, in the kingdom of God, of biblical discipleship. The starting point of biblical discipleship is to like uh, deny yourself and take up your cross. Non-negotiable characteristic of true biblical community. You cannot love like Christ and avoid sacrifice. You cannot do it. I've seen people try, never's worked. It, not once. I don't have an example of like, yeah, they kind of circumvented that. We've, we've got to live to sacrifice for the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of the world. People tend to be really good at sacrificing things for the kingdom of the world. I want you to prayerfully consider what, what is, I want, I want the spirit of God to lay this deeply on your heart. Like what God is there that I need to sacrifice for the kingdom of God? I want the spirit to convict you. What could it look like in your life? It could look like your time, your resources, your focus. It, 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 there's sacrifice for the gospel could, could completely alter the direction of your life, the way you think about the world, all of it. A few weeks ago, I was, I was, I was challenging our church in regard to the 
calling that we have to be deeply concerned about the, the gospel getting to the next generation in our church, rather in uh, ministries like children's or students or even in our own families. Listen, listen, serving and leading and caring for the next generation is a sacrifice. Okay, when every, anytime you try to connect with a different generation, they have a different language that they speak that changes all the time. You have to leave a place of comfort and safety and maturity to love them, to walk with them, to care for them in the craziness of life just for a few opportunities for, for them to, uh, so that they might hear the gospel and some know the gospel and live it out. You have to endure the pain of sacrifice when the, when, when, when the change doesn't come as quickly as you hoped or they completely reject you. But, but, but if you think about that for a minute, that's the same exact thing that Jesus Christ did for you. <laughs> he, he left the comfort of, 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 and the joy of being with his Father in heaven to come to our earth. The incarnation might be one of the, might be honestly on par with his death on the cross. Because in his incarnation, he was entering into our world. In the cross, he knew he was close to exiting it. Move quickly to sacrifice in every area of your life that we might embody the reality and the presence of Christ, not just to the next generation, but to all people. God's work in your life will lead you through the pain of sacrifice. There is no experience of resurrection power without enduring the pain of the cross. And so in light of that, I want to call us that in our, 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 our praying uh, for one another and for our church, I want you, as we think about this eighth anniversary, as we think about what God might have ahead for our church, I want you to be praying that our church would be a sacrificing community. I don't, I don't want people just to respond because, it, because I, I was really excited about it in a message. I want people to respond because they see what Jesus Christ has done for them and that it comes from this place of the Spirit of God uh, cultivating that and moving them towards that. That we be a sacrificing community, led by God and empowered by God. Move quickly to sacrifice. Imitate Christ's longing to glorify God. Then second, the second longing that we see from Jesus is a longing to proclaim eternal life. Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, he was rightly given authority over all flesh to be the giver of life. You see that in verse 2. Ultimate authority. He had fulfilled his role as the Son of God. He deserved the authority. He showed love and sacrifice. He rose from the dead. He ascended to reign on high. There's no question, based on what Jesus Christ did, that he deserves the ultimate and absolute authority over our lives. Different than some recent presidential elections, with Jesus, there is truly no better candidate that could be even imagined or hoped for. It's Jesus, only him, only him, that deserves our ultimate and highest authority. 
The the eternal life that Christ offers is powerful, it's transforming, it's distinct. And I want you to notice in this passage the first characteristic about eternal life that Christ highlights. Look in verse 3. And this is eternal life. Even in his prayer, he can't help but proclaim it. And so how how does he clarify it? He says, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now notice this, when he talks about eternal life, he's not talking about something to be experienced in the future. You you have to note that. He's not talking about eternal life as he's like, well, there's going to be a day when, when, when either when Christ returns or when you die, now you're going to be living or existing in the reality of eternal life. No, there's, there's something more going on here. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is meant to be experienced right now. See, the, it's not just a future reality. It, it's experienced as soon as you put your faith in Jesus and enter into relationship with God. Some of you need, need to check the reality of what's actually happened in your heart and life. Because when you have fully yielded, when you have put your faith in God as the uh, only true God and Jesus Christ, that's exclusive language. When, when God has become the only true God, when the reality of Jesus Christ whom he has sent, uh, your whole entire life begins to be altered by that reality and that truth. When you put your faith in Christ, it is, it is it, it, it covering every aspect of your life and eternal life begins as soon as you know, as soon as you declare that he is the only true God and that you believe in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. He says it there, that they know you. Now remember, remember the biblical definition of no. We get this messed up in our culture all the time. Uh, The biblical definition of no is not just intellectual belief. It It is a knowledge that is known in my mind that changes the way that I think and leads to the experience of living differently. It alters, it transforms every aspect of who I am. D.A. Carson says in, in, in his writing about this passage, he says, eternal life turns on nothing more and nothing less than knowledge of the true God. Eternal life is not so much everlasting life has personal knowledge of the everlasting one. To know God is to be transformed and thus to be introduced to a life that could not otherwise be experienced. See, Jesus isn't talking in his ministry about a kingdom of God that is to come. He's talking about a kingdom of God that in the presence of Jesus, who is the representation of the true God, that the kingdom of God is breaking into the world. That faith is not something that I take hold of for anything in the future, but faith is something that I take hold of right now. It's transforming my life only to be then fully transformed in the future. And and if you want to glorify God in our proclamation of eternal life, it has to not have with it some sort of insurance of the future, but an assurance of God working in your life now. That's incredibly critical in our communication and our proclamation of the gospel message and of eternal life. Weak gospel communication weakens the church. And if our understanding of the gospel extends only to like, like, hey, hey, I just want you to know God loves you. 
that's as much weight as it has in my life. I can express it, but that's all I got. Or holding up a John 3.16 sign at a football game. Like, like, that's a bit weak. If your gospel witness is maxed out with a weekly God is good at work, that's weak. It's not communicating the weight of the gospel or the weight of eternal life. To glorify God, you have to proclaim eternal life with weight. Anyone can go on the web like I did this morning and print off a something I found there, three things you should know about eternal life. I'm going to proclaim it. Number one, eternity begins at salvation. Number two, you can experience the hope of eternity in your daily life. Three, you have the promise of living with God forever. I can communicate something to you that I found in less than five minutes on the internet. And it, is, it has about as much weight as the paper that it's printed on. But if, if we understand that to know eternal life means that it is transforming, it means that there's a way that I communicate eternal life, a way I proclaim it, that goes well beyond the details that I could talk to you about on a printed page. When you begin to talk about the fact that eternal life is manifested in the fact that daily I am dependent on, on my relationship with God for everything in my life. That, that my day starts with me thinking about how to seek him and I want to process my life and think through every moment in my life through what he's taught me and revealed to me that I live out of the identity of who Christ is, who he's said, I, who, what he says about me, and that I, I, I live in light of being a person who's forgiven and been shown mercy and been shown a tremendous love. And, and this eternal life, it doesn't just, it's not just something I'm waiting for in the future, but it's something that secures my life right now in every moment of suffering, even in every moment of joy. That, that there is a way that this gospel has laid itself upon me that changes the way I think. It, it's affected my entire view of the world. Everything that comes to me from the world is brought through the, through the lens of this gospel. And I live wanting to represent that to the world. When you talk about knowing the only true God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent, it gives the proclamation weight. It is easy for the world to look at this and be like, you're just talking. You, you believe some right things about God, but what the world is looking for, what God is wanting us to do is proclaiming eternal life in such a way that when we proclaim it to people, it has weight. And even if they deny it, what they cannot deny is that it has weight in your life that's changing the way that you live and think. And there is a way that I have seen that proclamation over time have a tremendous impact on the people of God living out eternal life in the view of the world. That's how the light gets brighter. So we have to move to a place of knowing eternal life because we know which one has more weight. Everything about Christ's proclamation was authentic. He was living it. So we want to showcase to the world, just like Christ did, that it wasn't just something that was communicated, but it was something that was lived.
proclaim eternal life. And so out of this, I, I, I want you to be praying regularly that not just that our church would be a sacrificing community, but that our church would be a proclaiming community. That we'd realize that in the ways that I operate, not just as a pastor, but as a father, as a citizen of the United States, as a, as a, as a husband, as a friend, that all of that is part of my proclamation. The way I speak, the way I think, the way I operate with the time that I've been given and the resources that God has given me to steward, all of that is a proclamation. So let us be a proclaiming community that proclaims eternal life with weight, more weight added to our proclamation. And over time, I believe that in our church, what I've seen is that I've seen that the gospel and the teaching of God's word and the community that we have together has encouraged us to add more weight to our proclamation. So if you come right now and you're just like, I feel like all I've got is some information. Well, we want to see the gospel work in your life to a degree where it would add weight so that we could imitate Christ longing to glorify God and be a proclaiming community. And then final longing seen from the heart of Christ is this, glorify until glorified. Jesus had almost accomplished the work at this point that he had been given by his Father. He was going to die on the cross, he was going to resurrect, ascend. And in his ascension, he was returning, remember, to the presence of the Father in the glory of heaven. And he's ready. Like you, could, you can see that in verse 5. I don't blame him um, for wanting to, to get back to that. I am long for that also. In verse 5, he's like, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He's like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm thankful to be done with the work that I've, I've been called to do. And, and I'm really excited for that, that moment when I'm going to be glorified in your presence that I had before, before the world existed. It's almost as if for a moment as Jesus is looking right at the cross that he's going, I know that through that sacrifice that I'm going to arrive at the place that my heart longs to be. And there's this beautiful reality that we see in Jesus that he is committed to fulfilling the work that God has for him. At the same time, he's longing to be with God in heaven. And this is a reality that I believe we should imitate. Glorify until glorified. Focus on accomplishing the work that you've been given until you arrive in God's presence. This is your purpose. This purpose is so much more significant than anything the world offers that it's laughable. That I would even consider for a moment giving myself to the glory of the world. It's so unbelievably empty, but yet at times still tempting. And so I want us to realize that, that what God's calling us to do and what Jesus wants us to imitate here is that we would glorify God now and at the same time look forward to the glory of being with God for eternity. Both are important. If you think about it, you see this in Scripture. Like, in, in, and there's times in Scripture when, when, when uh, Paul particularly uh, says to us, he says, hey, uh, you're going to walk through some suffering, but it's going to be worth it because you're thinking about the reality of the glory that you're going to experience in heaven. Think about it. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Like, man, eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I'll chase that, even if I have to walk through light and momentary affliction. And we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Romans 8.18 
Paul does the same thing. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Then Philippians 3. Eventually, salvation through Christ leads to the full glory of God. Look at this. But our citizenship is in heaven. So the moment that we begin glorifying God, watch this, we, we actually root our citizenship in heaven. We're already living with, with our lives and our perspective informed by heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And he says there, and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so into that, what, what, what Paul also teaches is he teaches that we have works that God has given us to do just like he gave Jesus works to complete. You find this in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Glorify until glorified. Glorify until glorified. You have works to do with your eyes understanding that your citizenship is in heaven and that that is your ultimate end. And, and what this does is it gives us focus and direction. And I, I want to bring that to bear on our, on our church and, and where we are right now. Uh, eighth anniversary, heading into the ministry that God has ahead for us. A year ago, I told our church that we were taking um, time and um, to really purposefully pause and examine and evaluate just what it looks like to actually make disciples and not just talk about it and not just give lip service to it. To really process that, to slow down and pause, I think is the words I use to, to walk through that. And so in the midst of that, we had already really defined clearly the mission that God had for us, to love God, love others, and make disciples. And and out of that, we, we, we sort of re-emphasize some ministry motives, things like bold preaching and passionate worship and fervent prayer, courageous evangelism, purposeful discipleship, strategic multiplication. Out of that, we, we felt like God was aligning our church around a map of ministry that would focus on worship and services, living in groups, training in studies, and serving on teams. All of that work for the purpose of, of making disciples that were marked by a people that were continually and increasingly drawing near to God and knowing the work of Christ and becoming like Christ and then living for Christ. And as that got clarified, it, it focuses more than ever and it's helped our processing be more careful. It's given us a foundation that was so needed in light of all that played out in the first eight years of our church. And so I want you to know that as we uh, go into this fall season of ministry, I promise you there is no pause button pushed. Um, you know how you can pause something and then you hit it again? It has definitely been hit again. We're in full play mode. And, um, and so let me just give you some themes of what's coming in this next ministry year that we are excited about and I would encourage you to pray for and I'd encourage you to engage in. Because this is where we're headed, and there's clarity in that at every level of our leadership. Number one, equip for ministry. 
If we want to glorify God until glorified, we want to mature our equipping for ministry. We are, every one of our, our staff has been working hard this summer to identify ways that we're going to more extensively and continually train the teams of our church that serve because we want to grow our uh, understanding of how to be equipped and sent. I was talking to, I was talking to, um, to Brett um, a, a few weeks ago, and we've been ongoing conversations about how he, he's looking for more marriage mentors to minister to marriages and going to have another training for that coming up soon. Um, our staff development, um, again and again, I'm looking at ways for our staff to be trained more extensively to lead us, train in studies that we're launching in October. I love the response I've already seen to that. And train in studies is not just so we get more information in our head. Okay. Um, it is without question part of equipping people for ministry so that more people, the floor of our competency would be raised, equipped for ministry. Second, expand groups. Dylan is, is a focused um, tirelessly on uh, multiplying groups and deepening the community groups that we have in our church. Uh, Brett and I are, uh, Brett is the Overseas Congregational Care and Council. We're processing through the expansion of groups in a variety of ways to help care for the needs of the people in our church. Things like grief groups or opportunities to circle certain groups of people around one another for support and community. We're talking about um, something we've heard other uh, churches within Great Commission Collective do uh, called freedom groups, which helps people who feel stuck in their faith or their life to understand how through repentance to walk in the freedom that Christ offers. So expand groups. Uh, third, extend multiplication we want to see more and more people mobilized for community impact. To be outside the walls of our church, praying and dreaming about how God could use us. That's a key one. Um, more purposeful focus on families in the next generation. Uh, focus on evangelism, becoming part of the fabric of what we're talking about at all points, looking outward to the lost world. A more clarity around international missions is going to be one of the things that I'm working hard on. And uh, this one's huge, and I, I can't give specifics now, but I want you to be praying for this. Our leadership is discerning two opportunities that God has clearly brought right to our laps uh, for church planting in the next year. In the next year, um, there's going to be conversation about this. We're seeking the Lord and wisdom on some of this, and there'll be a more news when we have it regarding church planting. And then fourthly, um, it's this, encourage prayer. So equip for ministry, expand groups, extend multiplication, encourage prayer. I do not think that prayer is at the center of our church in the way it should be. And uh, I am personally and corporately um, convicted of this. And one of my primary goals in the next year is to try to address that reality and lead us forward in that. Um, if you have a passion for prayer, um, if that's something that's on your heart, if you're uh, walking into our church and around our church, and you're like, I really think the prayer should be more at the center. Please come talk to me. I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm so offended by your thoughts. I'm going to be like, I agree with you. I'd love to, to learn and to work together on that. I'd love to bring more people into the processing. So more on that even in the coming weeks in regards to prayer. And uh, this week we have a great opportunity for the men on Wednesday night and for the women the following Wednesday night. Um, but we're not paused, and uh, I want you to know that the heart of our church and what I believe God's heart is for you is for there to be a commitment 
to going, I want to glorify until glorified. And I think just like I've given you four things that we believe are the focus for our ministry year, what would it look like if you wrote down three or four things that the Spirit of God is convicting you of? To sort of say, hey God, what are some things that you want me to realign or prioritize in my life differently so that I might glorify you more authentically? Everyone engaged and, in, and enduring. There's, there, at our church, we don't want anyone in the stands watching. We want everyone on the field fulfilling their purpose. And I don't care how long you've been walking with Christ. I don't care what you've done in your past that you're ashamed of. I don't care uh, if you've gone years or even decades of neglecting the work of Christ. God in his grace and mercy calls to you. He beckons you. He will equip and empower you for the work of ministry. And I promise you that the work that Christ wants to do in the next years, in the coming years, at this church is going to require more people off the stands and more people on the field. And, and so out of that, what I, what I want you to pray for is not just that we'd be a sacrificing community, not just that we'd be a proclaiming community, but that as we glorify until glorified, that we would be an enduring community made stronger by these realities. And, and so what I want you to do in, in one of those categories right now is I just want to give you a few moments just to pray. And I want you to ask the Spirit of God to convict you specifically. He loves you. And He wants to bring this word, every word that's spoken, every message that's communicated. I, I try to bring the truth to you in a way that you can receive, but, and I'm trusting the Spirit in that, but when it comes to the application and the specific conviction, I'm asking the Spirit of God to do the work now. So just begin to pray and ask God, God, where are you leading me to prioritize my life that I might sacrifice, that I might proclaim, that I might endure? Just seek Him now for a few moments and then I'll close us in prayer. Let's do that now. God, I thank you for um, being the only true God and, and showing us a grace and mercy and sending your Son into our world. I thank you for the, the work that he did, and I thank you for the joy of walking and being a part of your kingdom. I thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness and your grace. I'm asking, God, that in the communities that exist in our church, in our homes, in our groups, in our teams, and together as a church body. 
that you would form in us a readiness to sacrifice. That rightly and in a healthy way, God, that we'd be willing to endure the pain of the cross to walk in the resurrection power. That we would be a people that with our very lives, including our voices, would be a proclaiming community. Compelled then by the example that you set for us, would we be an enduring community? God, I pray that not just for our church, but I pray that for all the the, the gospel-centered, Christ-worshiping communities around our area, our state, and our nation. Let us, God, be a sacrificing community, a proclaiming community, and an enduring community. So that the light might shine more brightly in the darkness, so that the enemy would no longer uh, uh, garner more victories, but that he would uh, uh, be faced with more defeats as the people of God are walking forward to honor you and glorify you to have their lives changed and transformed by you. And in all of that, God, I pray that you would get the glory, all of the glory, God, all of our crowns before your feet, all of our works offered to you in in an act of praise. And in that, God, I pray that you continue this work that you're doing. Thank you for it, God. We celebrate it and we ask that your work would continue. We are completely dependent on you and your power. And so we remain here asking that you would lead us forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.